Well, hello. Thank you for the four of you that chose to respond to that. Uh, it's a joy. It's a joy to be back. Uh, very, very genuinely before the Lord, it's a joy to be here and to see uh, so many faces that I enjoy very much. Uh, go to Exodus chapter 15, if you would. I thought we would take a look at one of the stories here from the life of Moses. I would want the Lord to guide me to whatever His mind would be, but in my mind right now, for the time that we'll have together in, what is that, just over a month, I suppose, um, I'm thinking of doing messages on the life of Moses. I have massively enjoyed studying through the life of Moses. And so this would be one of those occurrences. Exodus chapter 15 in verse number 22, if you would. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them, and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. Father, I just want to ask one more time that you would bless this time tonight. Uh, Lord, I love this assembly. I love so many of the saints that I've had the privilege of getting to know on a deeper level in this assembly. Father, you love them more than anybody loves them. And so we just pray at the beginning of our time of opening the word that you would abundantly bless them. Father, whether that blessing comes in the form of the, the painful stab of conviction or rebuke, or whether it comes in the form of encouragement, or whether you creatively remind your servants of your love and your abiding presence, Father, you know what has to take place in this meeting room tonight. And so we pray that the Spirit of God would be perfectly free to take the Word of God and apply it to every heart and mind in this room. Father, thank you for the richness of your word. It is such an amazing privilege and joy to have a God like you. And we give you thanks for a book that, that is so full of reflections of our God, so perfect to meet the needs that we run into day by day. So we commit our way to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So if you want to jot down a title, then you can jot down the title, Bittersweet. Obviously, coming from the, from the text, you have bitter waters that are turned sweet. And I really just want to take a look at this story as, um, as an occurrence in the nation of Israel where the Lord did not only allow something to happen, but He actually guided them into a time of disappointment. And that's actually probably the key word for my thoughts tonight would be disappointment. If you think of the context here, you have Israel 
um, going three days out into the wilderness. Think of the, the faith that it would take to be Moses and to not only trust the Lord for you and trust the Lord for, for a family and trust the Lord to stand in front of Pharaoh, but now you're trusting the Lord for one and a half to two million souls. You're going out into a wilderness with no, no idea of how to give them water, or how to give them food. So they go day one into the wilderness, no water. We don't have all the details, but maybe at that point you would be okay, right? I mean, I'd be thirsty at the end of day one, but, but it's just one day. So you get up day two, you know, you're still going through the wilderness, no water. Day three, you get up, you're trucking through the wilderness with one and a half to two million people. And then at some point, somebody looks on the horizon and says, that's water. Right. And then his cousin says, no, that's a mirage. Right. And they argue. Right. I'm making this up if you don't remember in the text. Right. This is our sanctified imagination. I'm just saying it happened some way. Um, they, they saw the water. They all of a sudden, this is what I'm trying to capture. All of a sudden they had this moment where they where they went. Oh, right. One and a half to two million people in the wilderness, no water, three days. And then the Lord specifically orchestrates this situation where an entire nation full of people go. And then they whether they ran, whether they walked, whether they fell and put their faces, whether they cupped, you know, whatever they did. Eventually, somebody tasted the water and they discovered this is bitter. You can't drink it. Right. And so in my mind, the, the key word to the whole text is disappointment. The Lord orchestrated a time of disappointment in the lives of his followers. Why? I think he answers that question. And I, I think this in my mind, this unlocks the whole text. Look at the last sentence. It's actually a phrase. The last phrase in verse 25. I have this highlighted in my Bible. It says, and there he tested them. So disappointments in the life of a follower of God will not only be allowed by God, but actually orchestrated by God as a test. According to that, according to that. Now, let's take just a second before we even jump into point number one. Let's take a second and just think this through. Uh, as we go through a Christian life, people disappoint us. Is that true? Yeah, it's absolutely true. Uh, people disappoint us. Uh, a woman whose husband does not remain faithful. She married an elder, turned into a full-time worker, did not remain faithful. I could name two women like that. Um, People will disappoint you. Uh, parents disappointed in kids. I could name you a laundry list. And I don't mean in some critical, angry way of disappointment. I mean broken hearted. Kids broken hearted, disappointed in parents. Taught, 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 taught. And then the parents decide not to follow what they clearly taught from God's word. Uh, an employer disappointed in a new manager, a manager disappointed in his new boss. Um, long story short, people will disappoint you. You can actually expect it, can't you? You really can. You can expect to be disappointed by people. 
uh, circumstances will disappoint us. Uh, someone gets cancer that you, that you deeply love. They fight cancer. Everybody that they know starts to pray for them. Um, at some point, you, you hear those words, remission. And then you go to six months, and then you go to a year, and you go to sometimes five years, and it's cancer-free, right? Cancer-free, 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 and then it comes roaring back, and in three weeks, they're gone. I remember being at a workers' conference when, when my friend Steve Price, that many of you know, uh, was asked to look at one of his good friend's daughter, and it didn't look good. And it wasn't long after that that she was in eternity. Cancer, it does that so often, right? It, it retreats and everybody says, praise the Lord. And then it just comes roaring back. So circumstances will disappoint us. Somebody less qualified gets a promotion for political reasons. Your wife gets Alzheimer's. Uh, whatever it is. I mean, we could talk, of course, on and on. But circumstances will and do disappoint. Uh, ultimately, and I think you'll understand what I mean by this. From our feeble human perspective, um, the Lord even, from our perspective, I'll try to emphasize that, even the Lord can disappoint you in that sense. And I, of course, He is perfect. He does everything right. He's to be trusted. Praise God for that. But from our feeble perspective and our ideas of the way life should go and all the rest of it, um, we can even come to the place in our Christian life where we think, like let's say life didn't go how you expected, and, and you think you were let down uh, by the Lord. Now, they didn't think this. Praise God they didn't think this. But my best friend, uh, I was out at a ski retreat with my best friend a number of years ago. Uh, they'd been married for probably eight years at the time. Um, they'd been through all different kinds of, of um, medical helps trying to have a baby, unable to have a baby. Um, and then I remember um, we sat down in, in his hotel room one night and and he just got this glowing, beaming look on his face. And, and he said, uh, he said, we have news to tell you. And uh, I said, what? And, and he said, we're pregnant. And uh, I cried. He cried. We're, we're kind of junior high girls on the inside. And uh, I hugged him. And um, I was so excited for them, you know, so excited for them. Um, and then it was the next day or the day after he came up to me. He said, hey, can I borrow your keys? And uh, I smiled. I said, of course, you can have my car if you want my car. Do you mind if I ask you why? And um, this time he was trying not to cry again. And, uh, and he said, I have to take my wife to the hospital. And they lost their little baby that they thought they were going to have. So, so let me please just ask the question, why? Why? Now, according to this story the Lord will both allow disappointment and even orchestrate disappointment. Now, I know we have to be careful with that when we're talking about circumstances. But the Lord will allow and orchestrate times of disappointment in the lives of His followers. And there's a specific purpose. Now, the big key is He tests them. But I want to pull that apart. I want to examine that. Um, what does the disappointment of this text show about the people of God? How did they react to it? How did Moses react to it? All those, uh, let's look at those things with the time that we have. So point number one in the outline is disappointments test our focus. Disappointments test our focus, what we are looking at or who we are looking to. So again, let's read 23 and 24. They came to Marah. They could not drink the waters of Marah for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured 
against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So three days, no water. The Lord is going to test their focus. So if you're taking notes, I would jot down this little phrase. Disappointment is exam time. Specifically, it reveals our character. If you think of a time in your life of following the living God, there probably have been many times that you've been disappointed, haven't there? What comes out of your heart at times like that? I'll be very quick to say that what, what often comes out of my heart during times of disappointment um, can be really, really sad. I mean really, really sad. This is not false humility. In my service for the Lord, in my family, whatever it is, at times of disappointment, what can come out of my heart can be so, so less than Christ-like at those times. So, so disappointment, it, it reveals our character. It shows us who we are. Now, of course, the Lord knows exactly who the children of Israel are. He knows what they're going to do. But they are learning a tremendous lesson here. I've learned many, many lessons through disappointment in, in the Christian life. There's a young man that I know that he actually lives in Canada. Uh, he came to me, um, oh, I don't know, a year or two ago. And and said, hey, I want to talk to you while you're here. And I said, great, praise the Lord. And so we sat down, we talked, and he had his heart set on going on a missions trip. And he was talking about the plans and, and all the rest of it, what they would do. And it was really interesting to watch because over the course of the conversation, it became clear to me, like I just got this, first of all, it was just like a little flag in the back of your mind going, Hoo-hoo. Right? Does that ever happen to you? And then eventually it gets bolder and bolder. And eventually you realize, I don't think the Lord has this young guy to go on this mission trip. And, and I, I sat in with the elders and um, talked with them, prayed with them. I didn't bring it up. They brought it up. And it was interesting because they had come to the same exact conclusion. And I thought to myself when I heard this, I, I know this young guy. And so I thought, good. Right. And that might seem funny, but I but what I was saying is this. This is going to show his heart. There are times in the Christian life where the Lord will kick you. Right. And you need to get up and you need to serve the living God. And then there's other times in the Christian life where you need to be just as willing to sit down as you are willing to get up and go to Ghana. Right. And and what ultimately you have to delight in is in the will of God. And so so times of disappointment, like you have your heart set. On, on anything, like a missions trip, um, those it, it's just a good display of what our heart is. Cain, uh, when he was disappointed, it displayed his heart. Um, David, when he was disappointed, it displayed his heart. He, had a, he was a man after God's own heart. Saul, when he was disappointed, it displayed his heart. You could keep going and keep going uh, through the Scriptures. So during times of disappointment, either we grow or, or we grumble. The assembly back home, we, we grew uh, over a period of time and um, we needed a building. So you know how they say that, um, that once you get to 80% capacity, you won't grow anymore? Um, our assembly proves that that is not true. Um, we were probably at 110% capacity, literally. Um, you'd break bread, you'd go out and you'd get your coffee during the break. And I mean it literally, right? I'd stand like this with my coffee. And then I'd think, okay, there's a Christian I need to talk to, right? You turn this way, literally, and you would slide your way down the hallway, 
And, and we were that way for years. And it was such a joy to watch. I don't know if you can talk about, a, about an assembly this way, but I was proud of them. Like, that's the honest truth. I was proud of them. Asking the Lord, Lord, we need a, we need a building. Um, our young moms were sitting on the bathroom floor feeding their babies. And we had classrooms, you know, Sunday school classrooms shoved into every corner of the building, everywhere you could go. Um, and so we just needed a building. And it was such a joy to watch them because we would commit our needs to the Lord. Um, about once a year, we would kind of see a property, look into it, send a group of guys to go find out information, put an offer down, and the Lord shut the door. And, and within days, right, everybody heard the Lord shut the door. And the first person up on the Wednesday night prayer meeting thanked the Lord for the shut door. And I just thought, praise God. And then the next year we tried to buy a building. And I don't want to take a lot of time to tell the story. But it's the same thing. The Lord shut the door. And, and they, immediately up on their feet, thanking the Lord for His answer. They were not wanting their will. They were wanting His answer. And it was just such a joy, right? We were disappointed in a sense. And the Lord did open that door eventually, right? Today we have a 14,000 square foot facility on five acres. And it's a beautiful answer to prayer. It's so fun to watch a hundred kids running around on that field playing games and then piling into the auditorium to hear the gospel twice a day. And it's just a joy to use that facility for the Lord. Anyways, either we grow during times of disappointment and we trust or, or we, we grumble. Now, for sake of time, let me, let me go forward. Um, I want to give you two verses. Psalm 62.5. I love this. You don't have to turn there. It says, My soul, wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from Him. Boy, I like that verse. My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. And then Psalm 73.25 and 6. Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And besides Thee I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So just encouragements to trust the living God. Now again, there's more we could say, but for sake of time, let's move on. Point number two is disappointments test our faith. Not only does it test your focus, right? What you're looking to and reveal your heart, but it'll test your faith. So let's look at verse number 25. So notice the people are murmuring, and then verse 25 says, He, that's Moses, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. So I want you to notice uh, two primary things here in this verse. Uh, the first thing that you can jot down or, or notice is that surrounded by complaining people, Moses cried out to the living God. That is such a beautiful example. Surrounded by murmuring and complaining people, namely 1.5 to 2 million of them, Moses sets this incredible example and he cries out to, to the living God. That's a, it's really a beautiful example. It's a beautiful example of a leader of the people of God. Many of you have probably read this. I hope many of you have read this. But there was a time in Hudson Taylor's ministry where reports that were negative had filtered back to, to Europe. They had a number of single missionary younger women that were working with them on the mission field. And, and I understand from what I read, what I've read, that that Hudson Taylor and his wife together would say goodnight to these single missionary girls and they would grab their head like this and they would kiss them goodnight on the forehead. 
Well, that filtered back to Europe and then, and then um, was distorted in some ways. Um, and then also, I, again, according to what I've read, businessmen in Europe were worried about Hudson Taylor's work in the Orient and how that would affect business trade between the Orient and Europe. And so, long story short, his, his funding, like the, the, his, his conduit of finances just dried up. So Hudson Taylor is kind of the head at this point of numerous missionaries that are working away in the Orient and his finances are just dwindling down to nothing. George Mueller, and I love this, George Mueller sees what's happening uh, during this time and so he wrote Hudson Taylor and said that his desire and his plan before the living God was to be the conduit through which the finances would flow. In fact, he said, I take personal responsibility for the funding of every one of your missionaries. Uh, it was somewhere, I don't want to say the wrong number, but according to what I've read, it was somewhere from 25 to 30 um, uh, missionaries. And George Mueller wrote each one of those missionaries a check and a letter month after month after month during that period of time. So Hudson Taylor's overseas. He's serving the Lord. Um, due to these, these different reasons, the financial flow just dries up. George Mueller says, okay, I'm going to support them. He prays. Uh, George Mueller's support goes from here to here. And this extra, he, he writes a check and a letter to each one of these missionaries. And for a period of months, and I don't mean a few months, for a good period of months, um, like over a year, um, he writes a check and a letter to each one of these missionaries. And I just love things like that. Um, I love the stories like that. And, and you notice here that, that Moses, with everybody else murmuring, saying there's nothing to drink, uh, you know, we're all going to die, um, what are we going to do? Moses immediately cries out to the Lord. And so uh, the men of faith, Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, they just they follow this example of Moses. They, they cry out to the Lord. And that really leads us to the second thing that I want you to notice in this verse. When Moses started praying in this verse, a miracle started happening. When Moses started praying, a miracle started happening. This is actually my favorite point in the whole message, if you want to know. Um, I love, I love this, that in the story, you've got one and a half to two million people, three days, no water. They murmur due to circumstances. Moses cries out to the Lord. And as soon as Moses cries out to the Lord, then a miracle starts happening. You know, um, this is just the grace of God, which makes me so thankful. But as a father, two times this last year, I, I know the Lord led me in this way. Um, two times this last year, I said to the Lord, um, in my office by myself, Lord, if somebody in my family, my little family, if somebody in my family has cancer, and what I mean by that is spiritual cancer, uh, if there's sin under the surface that is undetectable to my eyes, but it's there, if somebody in my family has spiritual cancer, so to speak, would you please bring it out to the surface so that it can be dealt with, so that it doesn't grow, so that it doesn't the devastation and destruction of it doesn't become worse than what it is already. Two times in the last 12 months I prayed that. And both times the next day, the Lord brought that sin out. Brought it right out to the surface so that it could be dealt with as a family. And um, boy, having the Lord on my side trying to raise kids means, means the world, doesn't it? Um, it's just such a joy that when you cry out to the Lord, um, prayer works. Uh, last time I was here, a year ago, we talked about prayer. Do you remember that? Um, Colossians, continue earnestly in prayer. Thessalonians, 
Pray without ceasing. First Peter, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Romans 15, the, the, um, strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Um, the writers of those books obviously believed in prayer. And you get this beautiful example right here that as soon as Moses cried out to the Lord, that's when the Lord showed him a tree, he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. A tremendous miracle happened that we're reading about all these hundreds of years later and and it had to do with prayer there's just an unmistakable connection i I talked with mike atwood yesterday what's today wednesday i talked with mike atwood monday and uh, you have to be accurate and um and he came right off the heels of one of the the most powerful weekends of god moving through his word that he's experienced Um, there were three spontaneous prayer meetings that took place over the course of the weekend, 15 to 20 people in each of the three prayer meetings, people just crying out to the Lord for a fresh work of God. I was up in Manitoba this last weekend, and in my, in my um, life, this would have been top five of my life ever, um, seeing the power of God move through His Word. And it was the same thing. Um, they just had a spontaneous prayer meeting. This is young adults, so 20s, young 30s. And they decided they were going to pray on Sunday afternoon. So they got together. It was probably 25 or 30 of them. They were appropriately confessing sin. They were crying out to the Lord for the next work of God, asking the Lord to use them, asking the Lord to tear down different strongholds that they saw. It was a beautiful, it was a beautiful time. Um, that came, that weekend for Mike and that weekend for me, came on the heels of about a week and a half ago, we had... A conference which we have very purposely laced with prayer every morning, every afternoon, every evening. Uh, we had a day of prayer on a Saturday for, for prayer and fasting and seeking God for the next great work of God in North America. And then we had 24 hours of prayer from Sunday. Actually, we stopped a little short um, of that. that. The idea was 24 hours. We started Sunday at 2. We prayed all through the night into Monday until we felt that the Lord stopped us on Monday. And then we closed in prayer and, and we left it at that. And all I'm trying to simply say is there's an unmistakable connection between prayer and the work of God. There's an unmistakable connection between prayer and the next great work of God. That is overwhelmingly true in the Scriptures. I've never been more encouraged in prayer in my entire life than I, than I am right now. I've never enjoyed prayer more in my entire life than I do right now. Um, and I'll joyfully tell you this. Um, I, I can talk more details even in a month from now when I'm back in the will of our great God. But so you can put it on your calendar, May 18 to May 22, this next year, 2015, um, we know, um, it'd be disingenuous to say anything less than that, we know that the Lord has led us to hold or host um, a North American week of prayer. Uh, Monday will be a travel day, I suppose, if people are driving, maybe Sunday and Monday would be a travel day. We'll start praying on Monday night. Uh, We'll pray all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, all day Thursday, and then we'll end the prayer conference on Friday morning. Um, Just for clarity's sake, this is not a conference to come hear somebody talk about prayer from the Scriptures. This is a conference to come and seek the living God in prayer. Uh, Do you know the term solemn assembly? You could look at Hezekiah's life. You can look at multiple places in the Scripture. Basically, the idea is that the people of God finally take it seriously enough 
whatever their circumstances are, right? Like your city's surrounded by warriors and, and you have nothing to eat and you're going to be slaughtered, right? That would be one kind of solemn assembly in the Bible. Um, whatever the situation is, you finally take it seriously enough that the people of God will set aside whatever needs to be set aside. They'll use a week of their vacation. I know that those are precious. And they'll come together to seek the living God. So I, I could tell you story after story of how the Lord clearly led us to the point where we are. Um, I'm not going to take the time tonight to do that. But I just want to let you know that that's going to happen. Um, at the very least, please pray for that. And then um, we would love to have you come. Uh, actually, honestly, before the Lord, you know what I would love is to see a tour bus, a 65-passenger tour bus come from Florida. Uh, uh, it, it'll be in Kansas City. Yeah, Lord willing. We're still working out some of the details, but Kansas City. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I know there's a, there's a lot of things I'm not saying here, but um, we started out praying every day, Monday through Friday. Eventually, we had regional prayer meetings. Eventually, we did 24-hour prayer meetings. It's just kind of the next step in the process of seeking God. Um, there's a fire for prayer that is burning and that is building across North America um, that no man could orchestrate. And so that is such a joy to watch. The living God is moving on our continent. Uh, and it's such a joy to watch it. So anyways, okay, enough of that. But what I want you to notice in the text is that when Moses cried out to the Lord, then um, a miracle started happening. The connection between prayer and the power of God and the movement of God. So in this story, God changed the circumstances. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes you cry out to the Lord and you get the promotion. Uh, sometimes you cry out to the Lord and you don't get the promotion. Uh, sometimes the rebellious child comes home. I've lived that. Uh, sometimes your marriage is saved. Sometimes you get uh, in front of a pew just like this, uh, longer than that, but just like that. And with 13 guys, you just weep and cry out to the Lord for hours to save a brother's marriage. And then, sh and then she leaves. That's a reality in the Christian life, Right? I mean, you live very long, right? You're going to see these things. Um, sometimes, sometimes the girlfriend breaks up with you. You pray and the girlfriend breaks up with you. Sometimes uh, a greater miracle happens than the Lord changing circumstances. Sometimes rather than changing our circumstances, He actually changes us so that we can accept our circumstances. Uh, my little sister has stage whatever, forgive me, uh, Lyme's disease. Um, she's in and out of a wheelchair. There's times where she can't speak, can't lift her arms, right? Her whole married life has been a struggle, to put it very mildly, physically. Um, sometimes the Lord heals people. Is that true? Sure, it's true, right? Sometimes the Lord gives you grace to endure the pain and the difficulty. And In fact, more often, the Lord does it that way, in my experience. I'm not limiting Him. I know he, He's capable of amazing things. I delight in that. I rejoice in that. But very often, he just he gives the grace to forgive the drunken driver, to accept the demotion, be, to be okay with the sickness you have to endure. Um, so God's disappointments are designed to make us better, not bitter. Point number three in the outline. Disappointments test our faithfulness. Disappointments. So they test our focus, they test our faith, and then point number three, disappointments test our faithfulness. And this one, again, is so painful to me. What comes out of your heart when you're disappointed? Well, fine, I'll... Right. I mean, you can fill in the blank, right? Well, fine, I'll... Is that godly? How about... Like, when you fill in the blank at the end of that statement? Well, fine, I will... 
boy, oftentimes it's just fleshly, carnal, selfish. It's sad. It's sad what comes out of my heart um, at times of at times of disappointment. So I really want you to notice one primary thing here. Look at verse 26. And the Lord, after it says he tested them, it says this. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Really what I want you to notice is the heart of God. You can see the heart of God in that verse. If you, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, I think I'm on safe ground here. Any parent in, in the audience, have you ever said to your kids, if you would just listen to me? Have you ever said that? I don't mean in frustration. I don't mean in anger. I mean begging your kids to be wise, right? Begging your kids to listen. A parent has lived long enough that they know the blessing of God. They know the destruction of sin. They know the, the easy and joyful yoke of Jesus Christ. And they know that the way of the transgressor is hard. And I see it over and over again. And my kids are 16 and 14. I beg them many times to, to listen. Right? Really listen to the wisdom of a, of a parent. And then you read this. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, if you do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments. Do you see the heart of God? Keep His statutes. And He says, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. I am the Lord who heals you. Yahweh Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. So you can see the heart of of the Lord in that statement. Um, There's an elder I know that I spoke with his wife, and my wife and I both spoke with her. And over the course of the conversation, I remember she just started crying, and and she just said, um, "If the people would would only believe the elders, with tears coming down her face, if the people would only believe the elders, doesn't that seem like a horribly low standard? Doesn't it?" But you get into these difficult situations in an assembly, sometimes that's what you're hoping for. And she said, nobody knows that my husband goes off to these meetings and he prays and, and he, he does his best to be used by the Lord and, and to be patient and all the rest of it. And then he comes home. This is I know this guy. He's a godly, admirable, kind of a stoic man. And she said, nobody knows that he comes home and he lays down on the kitchen floor and he cries. And I lay down behind him and I put my arms around him, she said. And I just sit there and I just hold him. And she said again, if they would only believe the elders. You just you see the heart of God in this. I see the heart of God in elders over and over and over again. They love the people of God. They bear the burdens of the people of God. They watch over the people of God. Well, you can see that heart in the Lord in, in that verse. So disappointments test our faithfulness. Will we obey? Will we keep on? Why are you serving the Lord? If something has made you feel like quitting serving the Lord, did Jesus Christ tell you to quit? Have you ever felt like quitting serving the Lord? Again, this is very sad. Very sad. But yeah, I've I've felt like that multiple times in my Christian life. I mean adult Christian life. It was never one time because Jesus Christ said, Okay, that's good, Scott. You can retire. 
It was always me. Always selfishness. Proverbs 18 just cuts, cuts me. He who isolates himself seeks his own gain. If you feel like pulling back, right? Jesus Christ isn't instructing that. He says love, right? Be dependent. Give to all who ask and don't ask in return. So, um, disappointments test our faithfulness. Sometimes we, we feel like quitting. Um, anyways, enough about that. Okay, one more point. And, and let's just make one more observation of the text. I couldn't, I couldn't look at this text and not make this observation. Um, this is really point number four, which is just application. Again, there's so many things we could talk about. I want to zero in on, on one thing. Um, the solution to bitterness is the tree. So if you're taking notes, point number four is application. And again, we could look at so many things, but I just want to focus in on that one. The solution to bitterness is the tree. And I think that this is probably important to me because I've lived, I've lived this. Uh, multiple times, actually, I've lived this. You've got the bitter waters of Mara. So obviously, in the context, you have this great subject of, of uh, bitterness is right there. I've struggled with bitterness very vividly two specific times in my adult Christian life to where I would be sitting and breaking a bread, seeking to honor the Lord Jesus, and then these thoughts would come into my head and my heart, literally and physically, would pound in my chest. I would get angry. Um, At one point, I went to my father during one of these times and I said, Dad, I am struggling. I go to bed angry. I wake up angry. I get angry in the middle of the day. I am struggling. Would you please pray for me? And ultimately, what I had to do, um, I don't remember if I've ever told you this before or not, but what I had to do is, you don't have to go there, but go, but um, I had to go to Matthew 18, where you've got um, two debtors. Remember the story? You know, one with a mountainous debt and the other with a small debt. And, and what I had to do is go multiple times a day. I'd wake up angry, literally, and I would go read Matthew 18, and I would say, okay, that person sinned against me and it really, it wounded me. So there is a debt, right? He has a debt against me. Like that's real. There's no point in in trying to fake that. But then I would remind myself, right? In that story, my debt against God is mountainous and unpayable compared to his debt against me. And that would work for about two hours. <laughs> and, then, and then I would go back, literally, go back to Matthew 18, and I would read it. And I would say it out loud. He sinned against me. His debt compared to my debt. He has this small debt against me. And it's real, and it hurts. But compared to my debt against Jesus Christ, it's just, it's just a mountain compared to a molehill. And then I, sometimes I would read it a third time during the day. Eventually, I'd read it twice. I don't remember if it took a week, week and a half, two weeks. I just don't remember. But I remember eventually, I got grace from the Lord. Forgive from your heart, the Scripture says, right? I find that I don't have the ability to do that apart from the grace of God. I'm not making an excuse. I'm confessing my weakness, my inability to live the Christian life apart from the help of my God. I I find I cannot obey that apart from getting grace from him and help from him and so I ran to him for grace and I feel like I'm a baby just learning these things but he sits on a throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need what a joy to be able to run to him and so I simply want to illustrate 
that bitterness is, is obviously an issue and the solution is the tree, right? Eventually it occurred to me, this person that sinned against me, they've never asked for forgiveness, by the way, right? I mean, that's really not the issue. You need to have the attitude of forgiveness in your heart and then maybe someday the Lord will bring that person to the point where they'll ask for forgiveness and then the judicial act of forgiveness can take place. That would be a delight. But you have to have that attitude of forgiveness first. The Lord has the attitude of forgiveness. He stands like this to the whole world. So anyways, um, eventually I realized that person's sin that they sinned against me, Jesus Christ suffered for that. Right? He was nailed to the cross. Take, I mean, it, it, Jesus Christ paid the price for that person's sin as well as mine. And that was helpful to me. Now, I'm trying to feebly emphasize this because I'll tell you, um, I have relatives that I love. They're perfect. Uh, they're with the Lord Jesus now. Praise God. Um, but they lived the last 30 years of their life in, um, I don't know how to say it, a corrupted, twisted, angry bitterness. Um, if you talked with them, I didn't actually even know how to handle it at times as a young believer. If you talked to them, within five minutes, they would be kicking the Christians verbally. Right? And there were times where I'd say, you know what I appreciate about that brother? And they'd go, right? They were just kicking that brother verbally. I'd say, he's perfect. And, uh, and they'd smile and say, like he was with the Lord, right? And they'd smile and say, yeah, I suppose so. Right? That works sometimes. What I'm saying, I'm not criticizing. The Lord knows I'm not criticizing. I see bitterness eat people up. I see that them, it, it hinder Christians in their lives. Um, I have wrestled with it twice. If you, if you really want to know, not that you're asking, um, it's a family attribute in my family. It's something we need grace to overcome. Uh, I've seen it on so many different levels and, and um, I hate it as a sin. Uh, because it it um, it robs glory from Jesus Christ, and then it just hinders people, and it, it makes them unblessable, right? Forgive, and you will be what? Forgiven, right? The Lord is not a grudging forgiver, right? He's not he's not up there like this, right? You meet these standards, and I might consider forgiving you. What it's basically saying is that if you will not forgive from your heart, you put yourself in the place in your Christian life where you will not accept God's forgiveness. You will not accept His blessing. It puts you in a place of stagnancy. So do Christians struggle with bitterness? Sure they do, right? I hate it. Um, it robs Jesus Christ of glory and it deeply hurts Christians. It hurts assemblies. And so I just want to highlight that the solution to bitterness is the tree. You, you go to the cross, right? What happened at the cross? Right? Who owes what? That person sinned against me, right? That's real. I sinned against him. I mean, if we're thinking about this accurately at all, it puts it in good perspective, doesn't it? And I found in my... I'm sure it's not the only way, but I found in my life that, that very real grace was given me uh, to overcome. And again, to be quite frank, um, I still need grace at times to, from the living God to, to continue on in, in forgiveness, in love, and in all those things. So, so it's right there in the text. The solution to bitterness is the tree. The Lord, or Moses prayed. The Lord showed him the tree. He cast the tree into the bitter waters, and they were made sweet. So disappointments test our focus, test our 
our faithfulness uh, test our what am I leaving out point number two our faith that's right thank you and um, the solution to bitterness is the tree so Father we just want to commit this to you tonight thank you for being so good Lord I want to thank you tonight that my name is written in heaven what a joy that Scott DeGroff is recorded so to speak physically in your book and that there's nothing I can possibly do tonight to separate myself from the love of God in Christ Jesus. How could we not thank you? How can we not love a God like you? How can we not worship a God like you? Father, it is not hard to follow your son. He's the most admirable man that any of us have ever met. If we're thinking rightly at all, then we see the incredible privilege of walking intimately with Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters that when disappointments come along, that you would, by your grace, help us to pass the test and not fail the test. We see two distinct groups in the story. There were those that murmured and complained, that looked around at circumstances and reacted to that through the eye of the flesh. And there were those that just looked immediately up to you and cried out in faith. Father, who could have possibly thought, standing there at, at a bitter pool of water, that, that well, all you have to do is take that tree and throw it in there and it will completely solve the problem. Father, you're an amazing God and you do amazing things. Please help us to see you through the eye of faith, we pray. We pray that we would grow in that way, that we would honor you through our faith that we would please you through our faith in these different trying situations. Lord, I have no idea what's going on in my brothers' and sisters' lives in this room, but I pray that you would please help them to honor you and just to have the joy of trusting in you when these situations come along. Father, we pray that they would be proved, proved to be people of faith, uh, people of prayer, because they're people of faith, that you would open our eyes, that we would see enough like you, that it would drive us to be a people of prayer. Father, I pray for this assembly. When I think of... Now, maybe I'm wrong. You know. I don't know. But, but when I think of faithful assemblies, I do think of this assembly, Lord. I thank You for that. I praise You for that. I pray to whatever extent that is not true, that You would correct and bring them along, that You would bless them and lead them and use them and multiply them. Father, I pray in the same way that the children of Israel, it's recorded of them that they, they limited You I pray that this assembly would not limit you in any way. I pray for the most possible glory that Jesus Christ could get from this assembly. That your omniscient, creative mind would think of the most possible glory that could come from one group of Christians and that you would use this assembly in marvelous ways. Lord, I think of your word in Revelation. Hold fast, hold fast, hold fast, hold fast. We pray for the assembly for that. Father, I do especially want to pray for any of those in this room that are struggling with bitterness. Lord, so many Christians that gets into their life and it's like a cancer. I've seen it eat Christians alive. I've seen them live the last decades of their life not very useful to you. Definitely not sweet-spirited. Eaten up by bitterness. Father, we're not pretending tonight, none of us here, especially me, we are not pretending that that could not happen to us. Lord, for those in this room that are struggling in that way, Lord, please give them grace. Please direct them. Maybe you would use a similar way to what you did in my life to overcome that, that sin. 
Maybe you would use something very different, but please help them, Lord. Bring them back to the place of tender-hearted love and grace, intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they would genuinely from their heart be able to forgive and overcome by Your grace. You're such a good God, Lord. We cannot live the Christian life without You. We have proved it to ourselves over and over and over again. Lord, we want to do well. You know our hearts. We want to do well. So, Lord, please, I just pray that You would help my brothers and sisters, that You would help this assembly. Help me, I pray. Lord, it's such a joy to be here. Thank You for this privilege. Thank You for all of these people that You deeply love. We commit this to You tonight, all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.